0: This week on Political Research Digest, are red and blue states enacting red and blue policies? For the Niskanen Center, I'm Matt Grossman. Public opinion and political parties are dividing across states, but is public policy following these differences, with conservative publics and majority Republican parties enacting more conservative policies? New research finds that shifts in state public opinion are reflected in policy, but not always through party majorities. I talked to Christopher Warshaw of George Washington University about his comprehensive new study with Devin Coey, published in the American Political Science Review, called Policy Preferences and Policy Change, Dynamic Responsiveness in the American States, 1936-2014. to But majority state parties may need to win over centrist legislators and governors to pass new policy. I also talked to Mark Richardson of James Madison University about his new research with Joshua Clinton, published in the Journal of Public Policy. Lawmaking in American legislatures and empirical investigation showing their power. Americans often think politicians ignore their opinions, but Christopher Warshaw says public policy does respond to public preferences.
1: There is democratic responsiveness in the American state. You might think that's an obvious finding, but as previous studies on representation in the American state have all been based on a small set of poli- either a small set of policies or a single snapshot in time. So what our our study tries to do is we try to develop an overall index of how liberal state policy is, in a couple specific substantive domains, as well as how liberal public opinion is. And so this enables us to use panel evidence to say, does state policy respond to changes in public opinion? And at the end of the day, I think evaluating responsiveness is one of the crucial questions for establishing the character of democracy, both in the United States as well as elsewhere in the world. Orshon
0: and Coe find two routes to public influence: through party change and through incumbents shifting their views.
1: What we focus on in our study is, is two general ways that public, public opinion could affect policy. So one is where, when you get more liberal, you tend to elect dem- more; you're more likely to elect Democrats, and that's sort of the way representation happens. Then the other is within party. You know, sort of even if the party-controlled government doesn't change. Um, politicians or elected officials are responsive on the margin to public opinion. And of course, you could have both of those things happening at once. In fact, what we find is that about half of the effect of public opinion does come from partisan selection, but about half seems to, seems to happen through um, incumbent elected officials sort of changing their position.
0: But public opinion shifts don't always change the party in power.
1: The partisan control of government is almost uncorrelated with, with changes in public opinion in the state. So we look at, like, you know, Massachusetts, Maryland, these, like, very liberal states that have Republican um, governors. You know, what that shows, I think, is that, in large part, the, the parties are actually, unlike the federal level, where they're sort of constrained by the national platforms, At the state level, parties are able to like reposition themselves around the median voter. So as a state gets more liberal, you know, like Massachusetts, you see somebody like Charlie Baker, um, you know, it's like very, very liberal Republican.
0: They use big composite measures of public opinion and public policy across issues and time.
1: We've aggregated about 150 state policies over the past 80 years or so to develop an index of how liberal each state is in each year over the past 80 years. And we also aggregated all of the public opinion surveys, roughly speaking, that <laughs> are publicly available. And we aggregated all of the issue questions in those surveys um, to estimate how liberal and conservative um, the public in each state is on um, economic and social issues. But this enables us to at the very least like get the temporal order right. So we can say, you know, if the public gets more liberal, does in the in sort of year T, does on um, T plus, in, in year T plus one the state policy follow.
0: They separate opinion and policy into social and economic spheres, but find state policy usually varies along one left right dimension.
1: What we found for policy is that you know state policy is mostly one dimensional um you get only modest gains from breaking policy into um, different domains. Whereas for public opinion, and at least in the mid-20th century, public opinion was strongly two-dimensional. So the states that were the most liberal and economic issues, in many cases, were like the southern states, you know, were obviously very conservative on social issues and racial issues. So thinking about public opinion as sort of a one-dimensional uh, measure, you know, didn't didn't really seem to make a lot of sense.
0: Warshaw says public opinion has a greater impact on social issues.
1: We found that actually public opinion seems to have a larger effect on social issues than it does on economic issues. And that could be because, you know, there's any any number of reasons. ways you could explain that. You know, economists might say that, you know, well, in economic issues, you know, states are more constrained by race-to-the-bottom dynamics or other kinds of economic competition. I think a public opinion person might say, like, well... The uh, public's views on social issues are sort of more, more coherent than they are on economic issues.
0: And they found some evidence that responsiveness is increasing over time.
1: We, we find that responsiveness seems to be stronger today than it was in the mid-20th century, where perhaps we, we find you know, little to no evidence of dynamic responsiveness early in the time period.
0: Sometimes public opinion is thermostatic with liberal policies leading to more conservative views. So Warshaw says the big state differences arise only with sustained left or right movement.
1: In terms of looking at responsiveness, even though there are sort of thermostatic shifts where like if you know Democrats take over government, the public's probably gonna get a little bit more conservative in the next couple years. You know, you still have these long term changes where like You know, Vermont is getting just much more liberal over time. And like, you know, would it have gotten even more liberal if there's been lots of Republican governors in the last 20 years or more than there have been, you know, probably. But you you still have do have these long term shifts in,
0: in public opinion. They find that states liberalized economic policy through the 1970s, but have since continued to liberalize social issue policy alongside their publics.
1: But we do show in our economic policy gets more liberal until about the 1970s, and it basically stops. <laughs> so until like the early 70s, um, or yeah, I think around 1970, um, economic policy pretty steeply liberalizes in the state, and then it and then it levels off. And our measure does actually capture many continuous policies, so it's not just dichotomous policies. We have, you know, welfare benefits, spending on a variety of different things. We tried to do those. We tried to normalize. We didn't want it to be – we didn't want to include sort of spending that just reflects how wealthy uh, the state is. We tried to make it comparable across states. But anyway, it's not just dichotomous policies. Whereas on, on social policies, we do show, like, that state policies continue to get more liberal through all the way to the time we
0: Mark Richardson looks more specifically at how legislatures and governors produce policy change and says centrist legislators are still important.
2: If you want to achieve policy change, uh, whether it be sponsoring a bill and getting it passed to become a law or trying to target specific elites, whether it be a governor or a member of a legislature, to achieve policy change that way, then you have to think about all institutions in the separation of power system. They need to focus on, you know, more centrist legislators. They're going to kind of be on the edge of the coalition towards the the middle of the preferences of ideological distribution of of legislators and also think about getting support of the governors. You've kind of got to think about that whole, all those institutions of lawmaking together and getting that broader coalition that you need.
0: Richardson and Clinton use measures of legislators' ideologies and states' policy outcomes
2: measuring policy change so that's been a real challenge that we i would say make progress on but we don't fully say get policy preferences or you know members policy preferences on the same scale as policy change and so that limits the strength of the claims we can make what we then do is say we've got a measure of policy change and thanks to Sean mccarty a couple of photoscientists who to develop measures of um, ideology of legislators across states we can use those measures and look at relationships
0: Along with the policy liberalism measure that Warshaw and Coey created, Richardson and Clinton added two more specific policy outcomes on abortion and charter schools.
2: The benefit of looking at the more uh, fine-grained policies is that we can get uh, more policy change. So looking at the general measure of policy liberalism, so it's based on uh, 148 policies over eight decades and kind of produces an aggregate measure of of liberalism, and so that tends to be very stable across time, as you can imagine, because you're looking at multiple policies. And so, looking at specific policies allows us to look at change on a you know specific salient policy across time, and then actually look at say, you know, how do we see kind of a change in the chamber media and leading to changes in abortion policy specifically, and you know that has we can clearly then think about how is that going to affect uh, people's you know specific access to say. Um, contraception or access to certain medical procedures or people's access to charter schools in the other case. And so that's why we like kind of looking at charter schools and abortion as two salient important policy areas. Again, it's nice that abortion is a more mature area that clearly maps into the kind of the liberal conservative dimension that, that orient American politics generally, whereas the charter school is a newer policy that's kind of coming. that's not maybe fully politicized, and we can kind of see how that policy evolves over time.
0: They were trying to evaluate whether majority parties get to set the agenda and move policy toward their median member, as some say happens in Congress.
2: If you're looking at a bill going to becoming law, you know, looking at the preference of the governor, so if we can't ignore the governor and his or her veto. If you're going to think about that process, now that's not to say that you might find, if you just looked at a single chamber, more more influence from uh, institutional structures, you know, like the Hastert rule that would give um, the majority party more control. So that, you know, maybe um, I would say, you know, majority party support in a single chamber, which, you know, that would just like the Hastert rule, right? So a majority of the members in the House, they have to support a bill to bring it to the floor. is not gonna be sufficient for a bill to actually, you know, become law, because we have to get through the Senate and the governor. They
0: first simulated what outcomes would look like from each view of policymaking
2: how to adjudicate between uh, theories like this is the use of simulation. So both a theory with the negative agenda power for a majority party also predicts an important role for the median and determine policy outcomes. Uh, Similarly, you know, the model is based more on you know, filibuster pivots, veto pivots, and an executive also have an important role for the median. And, and so without the simulation, we wouldn't re- really be able to say much because this correlation between policy outcomes and the preference of the median member could be consistent with both of those models.
0: Richardson says median legislative preferences are more important than party control
2: you maybe don't have to focus on getting change in party control if you can get a, cha- a move in the the median member or the most you know the most interest me- member, and then also you want to focus on obviously the governor too. So if you're looking to enact policy, it would you know I would say focus on kind of can you uh, you know get the the median member, the most interest member on your policy issue on your side kind of the center of the legislature, I should say, that center member on your side, whether it be through electoral change or just persuading that member that's already in office. And then you also want to say maybe that, you know, that center member is already on your side in the legislature, but you've got a governor that's opposed, then you'd want to try to focus on, you know, getting change in the governor, maybe through electoral change or, again, through persuasion. So kind of focusing on those two people specifically is going to be what you want to do.
0: He thinks the insights would work for Congress and for the states.
2: Models, of course, were originally designed looking at Congress, not the states. But they have pretty similar institutions overall. Um, you know, a key difference between, say, Congress and the states is most states uh, don't have a filibuster. So, in in our data, we only code five states as having some kind of filibuster or procedure, and so that's an you know, important dif- difference. Some states don't have say um, a veto override provision It's only a simple majority is required. I should say a supermajority to override a veto. Only a simple majority is required. So I think overall, you know, the model should translate pretty well. I think.
0: The results also help explain why there's so much stability in policy in the face of party change.
2: You know, a key insight from from our findings would be that what matters is kind of that median member, that centrist member of the legislature and the governor. And so you could presumably, and certainly very positively in the South, have a change in party control. But if the preferences of that median member are not changing much, uh, you know, given the change in party control, basically through replacement you're getting very small changes in the median, even though you have a change in party control of the legislature, then we wouldn't expect there to be actually much policy change at all.
0: Richardson found the most change in charter schools policy.
2: If we're kind of ranking stability, charter school policy in our data is the least stable, uh, abortion policy, uh, more stable, and then uh, the positivism, as you mentioned, is the most stable. And so uh, I think if we look at, say, for instance, uh, charter schools, so uh, what we see, interestingly, in that case, and this goes back to some of what I mentioned in terms of policy change being important at the beginning, and then how it changes over time. So California adopts um, a more pers- permissive charter school policy upon initial adoption, and, and we would cons- we would say that now is a more conservative position. Something that's more uh, allows charter schools to have uh, less rate, less oversight from, say, uh, the state, uh, be less bound by um, you know, state law, things like that. So that would be a more conservative position in our accounting, and so California adopts a more liberal position than Wyoming excuse me, adopts a more conservative position than say, Wyoming initially, and then over time, I'd say, as those become politicized, we see uh, California's measure becoming more liberal, uh, i.e. more restrictive over charter schools, and Wyoming's becoming more conservative, but at the end of our data, and so our data begins in 97, ends in 2014, we still see that charter school is more permissive of charter schools, i.e. More, has more conservative charter school policy than Wyoming.
0: Warshaw says there's still a lot of room for policy differences across states, but that public opinion is getting increasingly nationalized and sorted by party.
1: I think that on the public opinion side, certainly politics is nationalizing. I think that increasingly the main difference in public opinion across states is simply the percentage of Democrats and Republicans in each state. Um, And like if you try to model the liberalism of of U.S. state publics now, really, it's all about just the percentage that are Democrats and Republicans. Um, It certainly wasn't true 50 years ago, right, where you have, like, huge within-party differences across states on different issues. Uh, You know, now within party, like, basically, Democrats hold roughly the same beliefs, whether you live in Wyoming, West Virginia, or uh, Massachusetts. In terms of, though, the, you know, policy and and remaining differences, I think what what we found in our study is that there are large and, and really durable differences across states in terms of their policies. Um, In particular, as you pointed out, the southern states are just much, much more conservative than the rest of the country, especially relative to public opinion in those states.
0: Richardson says as a result, we're likely to see polarized policy changes ahead.
2: The effect of increasing polarization suggests that we should see policy moving away from these centrist outcomes. So if you look over time in the McCarty data, you'll see that over time, the chamber medians um, are moving farther away from the minority party media and closer to the majority party media. And so, you know, if totalization is causing parties to be more similar within state legislatures and also causing that media member to be more conservative, then that suggests we're going to see more extreme policy.
0: So far, Warshaw has not found much effect of institutional differences across states, but still wants to find out whether any reforms can make a difference in matching opinion with policy.
1: To me the most interesting questions from here are the effective institutions. And it's the thing that I think about um, you know, when I'm walking my dog is like, you know, what are the what are the institutions that might improve responsiveness? How would we measure the effective institutions, you know, so that in order to figure out whether we should you know, how we can improve the character of American democracy or, or democracy worldwide. Um, you know, we have to have a sense that some institutions are better or worse for representation than others. And I think, you know, in that in that sense, the literature is still very early days in the literature. Both
0: Richardson and Warshaw are mostly optimistic about their results.
2: Normatively, we want to see public policy mapping back into the public's preferences, and ideally kind of the, the average member of the public would get their policy views, you know, have their policy views reflected in policy. But I think certainly a model or having policy be more responsive to the median should result in policy that is presumably more centrist. A basic metric for democracy is: Do does the views of the public, or do
1: the views of the public affect the policies the government produces? You know, certainly if the answer to that is no, it calls into question, you know, whether it's really a democracy. I think, or certainly whether it's a majoritarian democracy. And if the answer to that is yes, then that doesn't necessarily, you know, prove that it's like a perfect democracy, but at least provides some some evidence that the public's voice matters for governmental decisions.
0: There's a lot more to learn. Political Research Digest is available bi weekly from the Niskanen Center and on iTunes. I'm your host, Matt Grossman. Thanks to Christopher Warshaw and Mark Richardson for joining me. Join us next time to find out whether whites vote on the basis of racial identity and anti black stereotypes.